love about real estate is you can practice R and D, right? In the corporate world, that's research and development. To me, that's to me R and D is is rip off and duplicate. Yeah. Meaning, real estate. There's nothing new in real estate. It's all been done. Everyone's yeah. figured it out. You know, all you have to do is go find somebody who's already gotten to where you want to be, study what they're doing or what they did, and then just go execute it. Yep. Uh, and that's what I love about real estate. I didn't have to be super creative or figure, I'm an engineer, right? So show me the steps and okay, I can go copy those. I can go do that. And, and real, one of the, you know, real estate really is about the execution. Welcome to the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll not only learn how you can achieve massive success in multifamily real estate investing, but also how you can simultaneously pursue great relationships with your family and a better walk with God. You can achieve financial freedom through real estate investing without sacrificing the relationships that mean the most to you. Now, here's your host, Lee Yoder. Welcome back, three full listeners. I hope you're having a great week this week. We've got a really great guest today. I'm really excited to have um, a guy that I've gotten to know uh, pretty well over the past couple of years. I was in a mastermind that he led. His name is Andrew Cushman. Many of you have probably heard of him if you've been um, interested in real estate and, and maybe trying to get educated listening to uh, real estate podcasts like Bigger Pockets. Um, I consider someone that's been on Bigger Pockets to have kind of made it. Uh, if you've been on a couple times, you must be like a real big deal. Andrew, you've been on like five, six, seven. So what does that, what does that mean for you? Uh, I guess I just, I, level? I, I guess I've fooled a few people or something. I don't know. That's all fooled. But yeah, yeah. I would say you're a friend of the show by now. I mean, it at least says that about you, but it feels like it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit about Andrew real quick and, and then we'll kind of jump into some stuff, but he's a former chemical engineer who found his entrepreneurial calling in real estate. In 2007, he left his corporate position to start a business in real estate investment, starting off flipping single-family properties in Southern California, where he lives. Uh, sensing a shift in the market in 2011, he transitioned to multifamily acquisitions and has successfully syndicated and repositioned over 2,600 multifamily units. He's a frequent guest and panelist on real estate podcasts like Bigger Pockets, like I just mentioned. Uh, outside of the business world, Andrew has been a certified alpine ski instructor and when not working in real estate, enjoys surfing, backcountry skiing, and trying not to be outwitted by his two children. Um, me as well. I'm trying not to be outwitted by my two children. So, it's Andrew, an ongoing awesome. battle. <laughs> yeah, so glad to finally get you on the show. Uh, th thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, Lee. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrew, take us back uh, real quick. We'll kind of jump through your story pretty quick, but maybe take us back all the way to 07 maybe, but what got you so interested in real estate or confident enough in it to leave your corporate position? Sound like a you know pretty good career. Why did you give all that up and, and, and jump all into real estate? Uh, chemical engineering was a placeholder from day one. When I was in high school, I knew I wanted to have my own company or business, but I had no idea what that looked like or how to do it. So I figured, well, if I go to college and get an engineering degree, I'll always have a decent job and a decent income. Yeah. So that's what I did. Got out, started working as an engineer. Uh, got got married a few years later. My wife had the same same outlook and mentality. And um, about three years after we got married, uh, our first business was born. And that's how, you know, people are like, why did you wait so long to have kids? Well, we had businesses first. And that's kind of <laughs> kind of the same. Um, yep. 
so you know we were both looking for whatever we could do to have our own business and and leave our our you know corporate world and then again not that our you know, the corporate world's terrible and or jobs were terrible we just wanted to do something different what, what is it about that andrew so you guys both had that the, like why did you both know that you wanted to have your own business i think it boils down to the freedom and the autonomy uh the ability to determine yeah. your own schedule uh the deter the ability to do work that is not always but almost always rewarding or aligned with your goals um and also if you do it well you're not financially capped mm -hmm. uh you yeah. know i mean if you're in a uh you know you're a middle manager in a huge corporation you know you can get promotions you can move up you move up but you know odds are you're not going to 10x your salary in five right. years yep. and yep. when you have your own business yes there's a risk of going to zero or negative but yep. there's also the ability to hit 10x or 20x yep. or, or 100 right. so it's it's yeah. unlimited and so that all of those things that having your own business provides and i think real estate in particular is really good at that yeah. uh is is is, is a motivating factor Got it. Okay. So that was the motivating factor kind of for both of you. Maybe, maybe you hit higher on different uh, ones of those that you mentioned, but you both mm -hmm. had that. So yeah, tell us about how that got started and maybe why you picked real estate um, to be, to take your entrepreneurial uh, journey into. I picked real estate because I'm not smart enough to figure out anything else. Um, like whenever <laughs> I hear about these guys or I'm in GoBundance and I meet these guys, oh, I started a software company and I sold it for 20 million and, or, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I, I, created a chain of, you know, 30 pharmacies and sold that yeah. for, you know, I don't know how to do that. What I love about real estate is you can practice R and D, right? And in the corporate world, that's research and development. To me, that's, to me, R and D is, is rip off and duplicate. Yeah. Meaning real estate, there's nothing new in real estate. It's all been done. Everyone's yeah. figured it out. Yeah. And you know, all you have to do is go find somebody who's already gotten to where you want to be, study what they're doing or what they did, and then just go execute it. Yep. Uh, and that's what I love about real estate. I didn't have to be super creative or figure, I'm an engineer, right? So show me the steps and okay, yep. I can go copy those. I can go do yeah. that. And, and yeah. real, one of the, you know, real estate really is about the execution. So one day I was walking through the break room at work. And I saw a Wall Street Journal business section had been left on the table. And the front page of that business section had an article about flipping houses. And I said, oh, interesting. Let me, you know, took it home, read it, and gave it to my wife. She read it. And, you know, we kind of, yeah, we could probably do that. We live in Southern California. Um, so anyway, long story short, we looked up the person who was doing it um, and and basically just like went through all their material uh, started working two jobs, meaning I would um, I would work on the single family flipping business before work, during lunch, and after work, uh, and yep. and all day, all you know, sixteen hour days on the weekends, and it took six months uh, to get our first deal. Uh, I was not good at it. I had to make four thousand five hundred and seventy six <laughs> cold calls to, I heard to you get say it. it before. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, but the thing, the thing is, is you know that that's one of the tough, uh, tough things. Is well, okay, how do you know when to quit, right? Well, the thing is, is I knew that the system worked, and it was only the only the thing that determined the you know success was my ability to execute the system there yep. was no question of does the system work and that was the difference it was just a matter of working on myself until i got the success and that's because so many guys and girls have had success in the past andrew yeah exactly yeah. i 
And that was part of our vetting process is yeah. we talked to people who'd done it. We yep. knew other people who'd done it. We'd hired a coach who was yep. in the process of doing it. So it was like, there's no question it could be done. It was just, do we have the discipline to improve ourselves enough to be able to execute? Yeah. And so when I, so when we got the first deal and flipped it, we made as much as I made all year at my job. Wow. And so I said, well, you know, I don't, it's not going to be any better time to leave than that. So yeah, I, I walked in and said, Hey, it's been great, but you know, I'm going to do something else. And I stayed for a couple of months to help wrap, help them wrap some things up and then walked out of my job uh, in 2007, right as the great recession hit. Um, it was actually a great time to do it because we had no competition. No one else wanted to buy anything in real estate. So we'd just buy for 50 cents on the dollar, fix it up and sell it for 80. I uh, never lost money on a flip, never took more than 30 days to, to sell them. Um, there's no such thing as a bad market, just a bad strategy. So you just adjust the strategy. Uh, that was great, but it was also kind of a brutal job. And so 2010, we said, hey, we just had a huge recession, um, which means we're probably going to have a long expansion. Half the country got foreclosed on, which means they can't buy a house for seven years. The other half scared to buy a house. Mm. So that means we're going to have a whole bunch of renters and household formation and rising incomes. Hmm, uh, apartments will probably do pretty well in that environment. So in 2010, we um, went and found a, a mentor in apartments and uh, learned the business from him. Our first deal, we syndicated 92 units out in Macon, Georgia, on the other side of the country. Yeah. And uh, went full time after that, and yeah. uh, a little more than a decade later, uh, I'm talking to you. So, <laughs> well, back real quick, Andrew. When you so you left, do you and your wife have a similar risk tolerance? I mean, you're you're both interested in being entrepreneurs, so I, I'm assuming maybe a little bit. But was she anxious about you leaving her job? Did she stay with her job for a little bit longer? What was that like? She did. She did stay with hers for uh, two more years, okay. so that gotcha. we so that we kind of had a transition. How we looked at yeah. it is. You know, and that, that's a good point. A lot of times you hear people get, oh, just quit your job and do it. No, have have runway, have a cushion because yeah. it took yeah. another six months to get the next deal. Yeah. And okay. that deal, we only made 4,500 bucks, right? Okay. That doesn't go a long way for living expenses in Southern California. Nope. Nope. So, you know, now the, the, the third one, the one after that, you know, got back to a very healthy margin. And then, then it was very consistent after that. Yeah. So yeah, we did have her, she stayed for two more years until we were very stable and then she could quit and, and help me as and join the business as well. Um, you know, what's interesting is, is we, I would say on average have similar risk tolerance, but there's different points where we each might hesitate, but the other one is encouraging, you know, no, no, this is okay. Yeah, go nice. forward and do this. So yeah. Yeah. yeah makes a good team then. Okay. So you, you transitioned, you went and got coaching again, Andrew. Um, but that just seems like a huge jump. I know for me, I flipped just one house. Cause, uh, back when I started in, in 2017, I was already listening to guys like you, um, on, on bigger pockets, say go bigger, you know, multifamily is where it at, where it's at. So I kind of knew I wanted to go there. So I did one flip, just kind of learned that lesson that, that you learned. Like, this is great. It's real estate and you can make money at it, but it's not investing. It's, it's a job. It's a different Correct. way to trade time for money maybe great entry point. So I did one and then I was ready to get into multifamily. We did one duplex and then I went to a 16 unit and that just seemed like such a massive jump to go from two to 16. You went from one at a time to 92 and add in all the way across the country. So why and how did you overcome what, what I would think just would feel like a huge hurdle? How did you overcome that and, and actually take that down? 
one, having a coach certainly helped. And the other yeah. being naive and not knowing what I didn't know helped a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but the reason for uh, other side of the country is I'm a big believer in live where you enjoy living, but invest yeah. where the returns are the best. Yep. Uh, you can make a lot of money speculating on California real estate, but that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to invest in areas where we could have cash flow and appreciation and have some control over it. Also, we wanted to be in business friendly and landlord friendly environments, mm-hmm. none of which can be said about California. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, so we, and also the, the fundamental drivers of rentals, but especially apartments are, you know, population growth, job growth, income growth. The Southeast U.S. has decades long trends, you know, that are very strong positive in favor of multifamily. So we said, all right, yep. all, all the demographic trends are good here. It's business friendly, landlord friendly. Um, you know, the cash flows are good because properties aren't aren't terribly expensive, or at least they weren't back then. Um, so yeah. this it makes sense to go here. And also, yeah, it's the other side of the country, but even post COVID, there's still like five direct flights a day from Southern California to Atlanta. I can be there in four and a half, a four and a half hour flight. And um, I've literally had something come up and been there the next day. So it's it's mm-hmm. not hard to get to, uh, even though, again, it's a couple thousand miles away. So that was that was part of market selection is like, where where do we feel like the the demographic trends are in our favor? Yep. And uh, the second piece of why 92 units is, you know, one of the keys to managing remotely and not being sucked into the day to day you know, minutia of, of property management, which will hinder your ability to scale is if you, when you, when you start getting close to a hundred units, that's the size property that supports full-time on-site staff. So we knew if we go buy the first one, that's a hundred units, we can get a property manager on there and we can get a full-time maintenance person on there and they work for us. And that is their full-time job. Uh, And so that was the reason we went straight for a hundred units. Okay. Got it. And, and, Careful, can't candidly, it's the same amount of work whether you're taking down 20 or 200 yeah. units. So you might as well, you know, if, if you're going to go through the trouble, you might as well go as big as as big as possible within certain parameters. Yeah, I mean, there's some fine details, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it, was your coach a big part of that, Andrew, to decide because uh, you hadn't done it yet to decide that you you didn't want to manage yourself? Because I feel like so many people, if they're coming from single family flips, they they just kind of naturally think like, well. I'll keep doing something one in my own area, but two, I'll kind of manage it myself to start and then I'll grow bigger and maybe I'll keep managing. Maybe I'll hand off. I mean, you right away, you knew you wanted to get something bigger. And a big reason for that was because you wanted somebody else to manage it and you wanted them to be able to do that well. And around a hundred units is, is when they can start doing that well, because you can hire somebody on site. It, it was it coaching part of, part of that um, decision there before you had even done it. Um, you know, I don't know if the coaching was necessarily part of that. Basically, I mean, I just knew we didn't want to be, you know, property management is a high headache, low margin business. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, it's its own business. It's, so, it's completely separate yeah. business and, and God bless the people who do it well. <laughs> um, especially when you just get into some of the HR stuff and I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but so what, what we did then, and essentially is very similar to what we do now is, is really kind of a hybrid model. Um, so yes, we have third-party property management company 
that manages our assets. And like I said, they're responsible for payroll and and the accounting and you yep. know collecting rent from the lady in 3C whose dog bit the person in 3D and you know all that kind of oh, fun yeah. stuff. Oh, they yeah. deal with all of that, but yep. we very closely asset manage. Um yep. our property managers have told us repeatedly like we have never met an owner group like you guys. Um, and actually, they, they've told us uh, that they really appreciate it and love it um, because we make sure that we don't get in the way of our property managers. Like we're not like taking money out of the bank account when they don't expect it. Yeah. We're not telling them right. how to do the minutiae of their job. But we have, for example, one of the things we do is weekly conference calls, uh, most of them on Zoom, but not all of them, with uh, our myself, um, our asset manager that we brought on a couple of years ago. And the uh, the on-site property manager, the maintenance people, and the regional for the prop for for from the you know, that covers that area. And every week we go over not just the property's performance, but renovation projects. Um, yeah. What challenges are they having? How can we help make their jobs easier? Because at the end of the day, you get these five, ten, fifty million dollar assets how successful they are real really boils down to the on-site people like they they have more as much as important as we like to think we are it's nothing compared to the people that are there every day day in day day out running it and so we very very closely um are involved with them again not the minutiae but in providing the vision the guidance trying to help them solve problems that are obstacles or holding them back making sure that they've got all the resources um and then in return you know they're helping us stay in touch with the market and is it getting stronger is it getting softer are we getting a good return on these renovations should we stop them should we do something different just just all of that um and another side benefit of that is, is uh, we have um, extremely high uh, team retention mm, um, yeah. in terms of our because they know that that we you know very much value their their input and in the hard work that they do. So yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into that, Andrew, because that's something I really hold you in high regard for is is your, your ability to operate the properties, and I couldn't agree more that that is so important. I mean, unfortunately probably if you've been investing in the last three years, especially you haven't really had to learn that lesson very well, because frankly, everything's gone up and, and, and you could, the market is probably taken care of like really bad asset managers. Um, and, and you've still done well because it's just gone straight, but maybe, I mean, we're already at least starting to roll over a little bit and, and how far we go down, who knows, but it's definitely stopped screaming higher. So I think we're going to maybe now find a time where you do have to be better asset manager, especially if we head into a recession, then, then it's really going to start to put some strain on you're really going to have to manage your property well. So let's talk about that a little bit. And I'd like to start here, Andrew, you know, where you're at today, you know, over 2,500 units, you've got a team assembled. You've been working with the same property management company for a while. So I want to build up to that, but what did asset man for, for people that are nowhere near where you're at and maybe they own one or two or they're about to own their first one, what did asset management look like for you and what should it look like for those starting out today or maybe they just got started a year or two ago? What should asset management look like for them? What did it look like for you when you were, you know, in your first couple of years? You know, candidly, it really didn't look a whole lot different in terms of structure. Okay. Um, so that yeah, very yeah. first, that very first deal, and that candidly, that's how part of how we developed the system that we have today. It was like, wow, this works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yes, we had third party management, but we acted like we didn't. 
Meaning, yeah. like yeah. I said, we had you know, I had weekly calls with the team members. Um, you know, constantly in we we so we hired a for that first deal we hired a former GC to live on site and coordinate the the renovation. All right, it was a late sixties, nineteen early seventies property that had been neglected for fifteen years. It needed a major overhaul. Oh, yeah, and so we hired a guy to go live there and do that and so you know I was talking with him almost daily i'd go out and visit the property every couple of months and and just you know very you know, closely monitor so even though technically we had third party you know i was acting uh, as if it wasn't and what that mm -hmm. allowed us to do is it allowed me to focus on learning the ins and outs ins and outs of property management and asset management while not worrying about trying to get Yardy to integrate with, you know, windows or, you know, whatever, all that yes. kind of garbage. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, the, the team onsite team members really appreciated it and liked it that way. And then, you know, I found like, okay, this really works because we have a incredibly good grasp of what's going on on the property or, you know, our fingers definitely on the pulse, but we're not lost in the weeds. And so we just basically continued that uh, as we grew of just, um, you know, being highly involved asset managers. And mm -hmm. then said three years ago, got to the point where I could not do all of it myself. And candidly, I wait, that was one of my mistakes. I waited way too long to add some more people to the team. Okay. Uh, but, you know, so now there is somebody whose focus is helping with all that asset management. And there's a lot of aspects that she does it better than I ever did. Um, sure. And it's it's worked exceptionally, exceptionally yeah. well for us. So, yep, yep. Yeah. And, and that just got to the point, Andrew, where there's too many weekly calls because there's too many properties and so too much going on for one person to handle. Um, and maybe so what was that progression like? Like the first person you hired was was just specifically an asset manager. And then you taught them, hey, here's how the weekly calls go. And this is what you do. And maybe how did you kind of start to build that team? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and if I was starting over today from zero, I do the exact same thing. And regardless yeah. of whether it's a hundred units or 10 units, I would get third-party property management, but then very closely work with them. And also realize a lot of property management companies can't work that way um, okay. because some owners, some owners get too involved and, and screw up the process. Sure. Uh, you yes. got to be careful not to be a hindrance. So a lot of yeah. companies are like, nope, nope, you can't be on calls and, and I won't, I won't work with them and they might probably wouldn't work with us. So you got to find yep. the right management company that sees you as a strategic partner. Um, so if I was starting from zero, I would do the exact same thing. I would, I would hire property management company and then just, you know, frame it as like, Hey, my goal is to make your job as easy as possible. And, you know, I'm here to provide the resources and the guidance of the vision, all that kind of thing. And then once it got to the point where, you know, I felt like, okay, I understand property management well um, after, you know, having several assets. So, you know, several years down the road, it's like you start to see what things differ between markets and properties, what things mm -hmm. are the same, how to set mm -hmm. up your systems. And then, yeah, then, you know, once you get to the point where, either you no longer have the bandwidth or you find that your time is of higher value working on something else, perhaps, um, then that's, you know, that's when it's time to bring I somebody in. And so the person that we brought in actually came to us without any real direct multifamily experience. However, she's just one of the smartest, most adaptable um, problem solving people I've ever met. And so that is, we basically just 
you know, she just dove in and, and shadowed yeah. me on calls and learned the systems. And like I said, in a short period of time is better at many aspects of it than I ever was. So that's well, like um, where a lot of people say you'd rather have someone that's hardworking and organized and self-motivated and then teach them what you want them to do versus they've been in that job, but maybe they don't have those. They're not hardworking and driven and all those things. Yeah, exactly. And candidly, it's been more fun since we <laughs> since we added yeah. added a few more team members too. Yep. Uh, as yep. long as you add the right people, it makes it more fun too. So that's good. I think the same way. But as you grow, everything I hear, Andrew, is that once you get to five hundred, at least once you get to a thousand units, you've got to bring property management in house because you're getting ripped off. They're going to fee you to death. You can have more control. You can maybe take that profit for yourself. You can make sure your properties do better. So why are you still using this model when you're 2,500 units plus when it feels like so many people say you've got to bring it in house once you get to a thousand units. I know, I know from knowing you, you don't, you don't believe that. So why? Yeah. And just, and, and I'm not, you know, I do strongly believe that for most people you, you shouldn't, uh, I'm not saying it's wrong or you can't do it, but you know, part of when, when I, when I look at some of the most successful sponsors that I know that are in the 15 and 20,000 unit range, uh, who have not brought in, uh, in-house property wow, management, still. um, for many of the same reasons I'm about to say, uh, uh, you know, I look at, look at what they've done and what they've accomplished. And like, that's who we want to be there. You know, their specialty is, uh, you know, asset management and acquisitions and, and analyzing markets and doing all that. So I kind of yeah. see it as, you know, everyone says that, well, you have more. And again, the caveat here is you do have to pick the right property management partner. Right. Okay. Yeah. All of For the, sure. all of the sure. complaints that you just listed are unfortunately very legitimate and happen way too frequently when you have the wrong property management company and you know we had a huge a whole process of how we selected ours and and we again that led us to getting the right one and we again and that's why they've been a partner for for a decade now um so that that is key you do have to pick the right one the wrong one this this will not work but you know everyone says oh well you have more control that's a bit of a, a myth because really when it comes down to it the actual person running the asset, that property manager who's there during the day, every day, they're the ones that have more control than 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 anybody. Because and then yeah. they, and the wrong one can defraud just about anybody if they're really if they if they <laughs> yeah. know the systems and, and know what to do, right? So again, you know, again, the fact that it really comes down to the people on site running the property, you don't have as much control as as you think you will. The second thing is, and Lee, you alluded to this before, you know running anybody who could run a halfway decent mediocre property management company the last six or seven years that's worked out fine because the market has been so stinking strong it really hasn't mattered going forward the next several years asset management and property management is going to be the big differentiator or one of the big differentiators you will not be able to get away with mediocre property and asset management the next few years um, now that the 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 raging bull market is over the other thing that that kind of goes along with the whole control myth is people say well you know no one cares about my property you know as much as i do um 
sometimes that's true, but that also probably means you haven't done a very good job of motivating and the people who are running it for you, because mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you align their interests properly, then they will care about it as much as you, as you do. And, and in some cases we've got a couple managers on there. I think they care about it even more than we do. Yeah. Uh, Cause I have to, t I have to tell them like, don't burn out, go take some vacation. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, the analogy that I like to give is, is, you know, if, if you're, you know, you, your spouse gets a headache and you go to the doctor and like, Hey, we got good, bad, good news and bad news. Bad news is you've got a brain tumor. And we need to take it out. Good news is it's non-cancerous, but we still got to take it out. Right. So you are not going to, on, on, on the day of surgery, you're not going to walk into the operating room, put your hand on the shoulder of the doc surgeon and be like, Hey doc, you know what? I care about her more than you do. I got this. Like caring yeah. does not equal yeah. competence, right? Yeah. Just because you yeah. care more doesn't mean oh, yeah. you're better at it. So, you know, and to me, it's, it, it, it's, it's probably, you know, it, it's, it's being a good asset manager and, 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 and trying to infuse that same level of caring with people who have more competence than you do. Um, now again, with that said, Another I do point. know, yeah. I do know people who've brought property management in house and as far as I can tell, do a really good job with it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not like a, it, you know, it's definitely not a, Oh, absolutely not. You can't make that work. Um, but it's kind of a matter of like, who are you? Are you an investor? Or are you a management company? Yep. Um, there are some advantages to having it in house. Um, you know, one of which being, you know, you have fee income no matter what's going on uh, right. because you're you're managing the assets. So, and that's why some folks do that, and I think that's perfectly fine. Um, but for me, we do. I see it as we are primarily investors, uh, and property management is a different business. So yes. we're going to be investors. We focus on asset management. Oh yeah. One other thing I remember you telling me, Andrew, was. Um, people think, you know, like somebody like me, you know, a couple hundred units, almost 300 units, like a thousand units seems like so much. And it is. Um, and, and you said that to me, like, you know, not downplayed. It, it is a lot. But at this stage, when you're getting going, you think, man, I'm going to have like so much pricing power when I'm at a thousand units. And I, when I yep. call the contractor answer and when I call Home Depot, they'll you know, be ready. But it's really not that much when you think about like being in a city, a thousand units is like, it's not even a drop in the bucket. 10,000 units, 20,000, 30,000, that is scale. That's pricing power. And, you know, we started working somewhat recently with a, a property management company that has 14,000 units under um, management. And they have, I mean, we are fine. Like they have some serious pricing power with Home Depot. It's, it's ridiculous the prices they get. Um, they're pulling, you know, they've got one property over here that's getting rid of all their white appliances. Our property's fine with white appliances. So they're just bringing them over. Um, and they've got mm -hmm. like different things they're doing with cabinets that I've never heard of before called cinch kits. And you keep the bases, but you put new doors on them and they look brand new. And like I, my other property management company and me, like never heard of that. I, I feel like it's when you get to that size and you've been doing it that long and, and that high of a level for a long time and you're managing 10,000 plus, like it's a different level. I, I'm starting to, to see that a little bit, that that is real pricing power. That's real scale. Uh, yeah, is more like ten thousand than than a thousand. Well, you're you're absolutely right. So I mean that that just gets you another. I'll give you an example. Is over the years we've had two properties destroyed by hurricanes that we own in Florida, and both times because our property management company manages about twenty five thousand units in the southeast. We got top priority for big contractors to come down from Atlanta mm -hmm. and start renovate, start the renovations right away. Like we're Jeez, not trying to yeah. find contractors. We're not begging them to come down. 
you know, and, and, and we've even had them say, well, this job that you're asking us to do is too small, but because of our relationship with, you know, fill in, you know, fill in the blank, we'll do it for you. Um, yeah. So that that's another huge factor. And then also when you're looking for maintenance people and property managers and other staff, you when you know someone's evaluating who are they going to go work for and they say well okay i can work for this company that has 10 people in a couple properties or a thousand units or two thousand units or i can go work for this company that manages twenty five thousand with all kinds of all kinds of opportunity to move up the ladder if i do well um there's, there's, you know, that's typically perceived as a place of greater opportunity. And so the, you know, the, the bigger within up to a certain within reason, uh, you know, that scale also helps you attract better personnel and better oh, team yeah. members. Right. Um, so again, there's just, there's just a lot of factors. It's very easy. Well, I, I can control it and I care more than anybody possibly true, but there's so many other factors to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yeah, uh, unless you really enjoy property management. That's another thing, too. If you really right. like it, then by all means. Yeah, I that's don't. like <laughs> if you want to build that business, then then you can build that business. I've yeah. always said, like, if we ever do it, uh, an argument, it's going to be because somebody joins us and that's what they want to do. Because I want to be an asset manager, so I'm going to keep doing that and building that business. If we're ever, like, partner with someone and that's the business they wanted to build and it made sense, then okay. Again, that's a completely different business. And so I'm just going to build this business. But Really great conversation. This is really helpful, Andrew. I, I, I think it's really helpful. Definitely helpful for me. I think it's helpful for the, the listeners because um, I, I really think this is, I mean, people say you you make money when you buy. I, I think that's true for single family and when you're buying for appreciation and when you don't control uh, the value of the property, like single family, because it's controlled by the market and your neighbors. But in apartments, you control the value of property because you control the NOI which is how your property now cap rates have something to do with it as well. And you don't control that, but you do control the NOI. And so it's really about how you operate it. And it, you know, we, we you and I are in agreement that, that get that really good property management company. So this has been really helpful. I do want to transition a little bit, talk about faith, family. Um, what has this journey been like for you on, on that front, Andrew, how has your family been affected by your real estate investing and how does faith play a role in, in your, in your real estate investing? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's, you know, faith is a, a key piece of just how, you know, we operate and do business. Um, and aside from the, the moral aspect, it's just good business, right? So yeah. let me give you an example. Um, you know, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, it's yeah. pretty simple. So that applies to all the little things. If you tell a broker, you're going to call them back on Wednesday, call them back on <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah. Right. Even if, even if, let's say, you know, you talk to my Monday, hey, I'll, I'm going to look at this property. I'll call you back on Wednesday. And you know what? Life happens. You didn't have a chance to look at it. You still reach out to him on Wednesday, said, Hey, I'm really sorry. I uh, did not get a chance to look at it, but I want to let you know I still will. I'll talk, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get, I'm looking at it tonight and I'll call you tomorrow. Right. That still counts. That's fine. Yep. Um, so it's just, you know, when you're, when you show that you're reliable uh, with the little things, then, then people will, you know, it's easier to believe that you're going to be reliable with, with the big things and, yeah. and trustworthy. So, right. Um, so that, 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 that has a huge effect. Um, in terms of, you know, affecting family, it's been a real, blessing that um you know my wife and i work together day in day out um we have for 
Oh, geez, I guess uh, it's been 15 years now. Um, I've been able to be home um, for, you know, when when the kids were born and and as they've been growing up, uh, I still spend more time locked in my office. uh, Well, not locked in my office, but uh, sequestered in my office than than I would prefer to. Um, But, you know, it's it's given you know having our own business and and and, you know, particularly in real estate. Uh, it's giving us the freedom to, you know, schedule schedule that works for us. Uh, yeah, you know, we can go on vacation more when we want to. It's a little tougher with the kids in school, but yeah, uh, you know, when it's we their want fault, to, not yours. Yeah, yeah, not not you know not necessarily just when you know everyone's on vacation at the same time. Uh, you know, I surf during the week. Uh, you know, usually like on a Wednesday or something like that. Um, awesome. And uh, you know, when you know, otherwise, you know, if I had a regular job, it'd be a little tough to do that. And I and that's again. So I like to go surfing on Wednesday, and then when everyone else is on the beach on Saturday, that's when I'm working. Right. So mm-hmm. just the the ability to to kind of lifestyle by design. Yep. Um, it's yep. still a lot of work. It's still, uh, there is risk. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's definitely tough days, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's that lifestyle by design of kind of, you know, integrating and designing work and yeah. family and health and fitness and adventure and all that stuff, it, you know, putting those things all together in a way that works really well for you. And that's what real estate, um, has allowed us to do. So, yeah. I don't think I knew that your wife, uh, kind of works with you in the business. What, what's that like? What, what What's her role and, and how has that been working with her? Ah, uh, you know, it's funny. Whenever people find that out, they kind of give me that look like, Ooh, how's that going? Um, you know, it, 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 it's actually, it's been, it's been really well. Uh, it's, it's been awesome. And we, That's you know, funny. it's funny, even though we're, we're both working from home all day, every day. Yeah. If I happen to leave for a couple of days, it's always like, Oh, I miss you. You know? Um, so yeah. it, it's been, it's been really good. It's always good. It's, it's been helpful to have a partner to, uh, uh, to learn from and bounce ideas off of. And back yeah. in the very beginning, when I was making those, you know, 4,500 phone calls, <laughs> she would sit there and listen. And then I'd hang up and she'd be like, okay, honey, that was good. But next time, maybe you should say this instead or something like that. So yeah. I kind of had my own in-house coach there for a while. Um, so, you know, it, it's been, uh, it's, it's for us, it's, it's been phenomenal. It's, it's, you know, uh, I'd say, you know, made us even, even closer than we probably otherwise would have been. Yeah. What's her role like now? What? What? what oh yeah, doing? you're right. So she's basically kind of the behind the scenes. Um, okay. So like all of our, you know, internal entities. She doesn't get involved with the properties themselves or anything yeah. like that. But she's kind of like I said, all of our our internal stuff. Got and it. then also just all of the doing all of the stuff that is involved with life and kids and home. Oh yeah. Um, Yes. So that I can spend the time, you know, managing right. assets and, um, and, and, you know, yeah. flying around the yeah. country and doing stuff like that. Got so. it. Got it. Uh, wrapping up here, Andrew, um, I like to ask uh, a couple of questions to end, to uh, kind of sum up the, the show. What would you say is a key ingredient to being a successful real estate investor, maybe specifically to being a multifamily uh, sponsor, to, to, to being the general partner on the deal? Um, relentless persistence. And then also just, you know, I mentioned, we talked about earlier, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, right? Yeah. If you're syndicating, that means you're taking other people's money and you're responsible for it. You know, that means you have to be trustworthy and responsible. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and never make mistakes, but it does mean you have to own them when you do and be yep. fully transparent, uh, yeah. both with, you know, successes and mistakes. Uh, and then just also just, just relentless persistence. Yeah, it it is not what you know. It's kind of unfair that the longer you're in it, the easier it gets. 
the really hard part is in the beginning and getting yeah. started and building up the ability to buy properties, building up your investor base, um, yep. building up your asset management expertise and knowledge. All of those things are way harder in the beginning. Oh, yeah. um, and yeah, um, so it takes just, just relentless persistence, not, you know, just knowing, okay, again, assuming it's something you do really want to do, and then it's just knowing, okay, it's knowing, well, if I, this system works and having the discipline and commitment to relentlessly pursue it until you are able to successfully execute it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that way of thinking about it. And I, I couldn't agree more. Well, um, what's the key ingredient then, Andrew, while, pursuing success in real estate investing, what's a key ingredient for maintaining your priorities? You know, pursuing your faith uh, in Christ, pursuing your wife, having a good relationship with your kids. What's the key ingredient to making sure that those things are happening as well? You know, I don't know if there's one key ingredient and that is definitely mm -hmm. one of the dangers, right? Because I mean, how many times have you heard about or met you know, the guy who's worth $20 million, but he's overweight and divorced yeah. and, oh, yeah. you know, works a hundred hours a week and, and, and all of that. Seems um, like more times than not. That's the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost like that's almost kind of the stereotype. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think you just have to be grounded in why you're doing it in the first place. And then also, yeah. you know, just be, be honest with yourself. Um, you know, one of the reasons we did this is so that we could work together and have flexibility and spend more time with each other and all of that. Um, I tend to be very task oriented and task driven, meaning like, okay, you know, I, I want to get these eight things done today and have them checked off my list and um, spending time with the kids or going is something that's easy to get pushed out. Right. Yeah. Well, if I can just get this done, get this done. And then, well, just always more stuff. Oh. So that's something I'm still trying to work on doing a better job at of, of, yep. And actually, that is one of the, I don't know if it's a downside, but I think that's a particular challenge of having your own business and especially work running in that business from home is yeah. personal life and work life. It's just like where it gets hard to, hard to define yep. where the two separate, right? Yep. Um, you know, when do you be on your phone and not be on your phone? Um, oh, yeah. You know, if you stay connected, that means you can go on more vacations. But, you know, when you're on vacation, should you be connected? But, you know, you know so I mean, it's just this whole thing. And oh, it really, boils, it really also boils down to the dynamics of your, of your, you know, your relationships too. So, yep. um, yeah. And I, I guess if there's, so I guess that's what it is. You know, I, if I say, if there's one thing, um, say whoever those most important people in your life are, just be in constant communication with them um of how's it going and what can you do to continue to improve so like i said that, oh, that, that, yeah. that, that that's one area that i, I still got to work on so yeah yeah oh me yeah everything you mentioned there is so true it's it's awesome to have the flexibility and, and, and control but yeah if i had a job that i hated uh when i came home i, I wouldn't want to do that job anymore so i I'd, I'd be open to my family but since I have a job that i love um and, and i'm passionate about it and i can do it from anywhere at any time like there's no limit to the amount of deals you can look at and underwrite and you can do it right from anywhere. So, and I like doing it. So yeah. Can, and that's, that's right? the exact, that's actually the exact problem when you like what you're doing is yeah. it's not like, Oh, it's five o'clock. I'm done. Right. It's like, Oh, Hey, I got two hours after dinner. Oh, I could get this done and that'll help this. And you know, it's, yeah. it's actually, oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it can be tough now, but I mean, I, I, yeah, you, the thing you mentioned, I mean, that's, that's a huge help for me is that my, I mean, my wife is an extremely driven person. I'd say she has more self-discipline and, 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 and drive than I do, but she's also just better at being like, yeah, but the kids, um, and a lot yeah. of times the, the wife is, so yeah, having that partner 
um, you know, to, to keep you in check and, and have other people. And then, yeah, talking with your kids, having a relationship with them and kids will often, you know, kids will let you know that they need more time too. So we're good, Andrew. Hey, um, a book recommendation, maybe someone that's getting started. Uh, they want to, they want to become you, Andrew, but they're, maybe they just got their first one or they're looking to get their first one. What's a good book recommendation? You know, I'm going to give her a, 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 short list. I don't think yeah. there's one book out there that solves yeah. everything. Good so, right. um, you know, I would say one David Green's long distance real estate investing. Okay. Uh, don't, if you happen to live in a place like Dallas or Atlanta and you want to, you know, those are great markets and you want to invest in your backyard. Great. Do that. But don't be limited by geography. Um, and that book, while the focus is single family, the principles are the same, whether you're doing single family, multifamily. So go read that. Um, you know, Dave Lindahl, they're, they're a little older now, but he has two books, um, multifamily millions in emerging markets. Uh, those are great books for just kind of the, the basics, uh, kind of like a, kind of a good overview of the entire process for, uh, of, of, you know, owning properties and finding properties and finding markets and all of that. Yep. Um, and then if you're going to syndicate and bring in other people's money, I highly recommend Brian Burke's uh, The Hands-Off Investor. It's yeah. geared towards passive investors um, of, okay, here's how you evaluate sponsors. However, as a sponsor, it actually, it can be very insightful into um, a lot of the ways that you should do things. And then also it's going to help you understand where investors are coming from right? and yep. how to address the concerns that they're going to have. So even, even if you're not looking to be a hands-off investor, I actually highly recommend that book. Uh, to anyone who's going to be uh, syndicating, um, because there's again, there's a Brian put a lot of lot of great stuff yeah. in there. Yep, yep, and he's been doing it for a while. Um, Thirty yeah. something years. Yep. Yeah. Before I let you go, uh, I always like to ask my uh, guests before they leave, how might my listeners and I be praying for you in the coming weeks? I've got a got a big 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 trip coming up that hopefully I will return from safely. That that involves uh, involves some rather adventurous activities, uh, and then also just um, for wisdom. Uh, in an uncertain market, um, yeah. you know, uh, keep, you know, how to best serve our team and our residents and our investors, um, what deals to do and not to do. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity that's going to be coming up, but there's also a little more risk than there's been yep. in the last five or right. six years. Yeah. So. Those usually go hand in hand. Awesome. Andrew, this has been great, man. Um, thank you so much for your time and, and, and sharing all that with us. Um, I, I know I learned a ton. I'm sure my listeners have as well. So thanks for coming on today. All right. Good talking with you, Lee. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another great episode. I hope you'll take action on what you've learned today. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving Lee a five-star rating and review. And check him out on threefoldrei.com. Until next time, First Timothy 617.